This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found on Gadget Geek show number 337, recorded on December 14th, 2017. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from what feels like Florida. Mike, I have no idea what's going on with the weather, but I mean, we've had some windy days, but it's like 50. Out yeah, there. 50. I mean, the wind makes it a little colder, but it's been great. And actually, the wind is great because all my leaves now are pushed to one side of the yard. So. I thought you were going to say all the leaves were pushed to your neighbor's yard. Oh, that no, would have been in my backyard. So they're all at least just up against the fence. So now I just got to oh. go out and scoop them into the bag. Eric Donoski is with us tonight. And Eric, you're in, you're in Southern California. You've got winds, but those aren't the things you're looking forward to, right? You got some, are you near the fires at all? Eric, no. welcome, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we have no humidity though. So that's the problem. Yeah, no, everything's super dry. You're you're safe, right, yep. where you're at, and yep. everything's good. But uh, boy, man, Southern California is a mess at the moment. And uh, man, we still we've we've talked about this before. We, of course, a lot of our listeners and a lot of our tech guys are in LA in that area, and so we just uh, hearts go out to those who are affected by those fires. And uh, you know, there's lots of things going on. But Mike, the weather here in Nebraska, I'm feeling more and more like San Jose, California. That's my hometown, by the way. All the time. So if this is, I've said this before, this is what global warming's about. I'm all for it. You You know, it's It's brutal here in Nebraska. Of course, we post the show notes and we can have some really good ones because Erica did an amazing job with some show notes this week. You can, you can catch all those at theaverageguy.tv. Don't forget, you can join us live on our mobile app as well. Best way to get a hold of the program is through our mobile app, homegadgetgeeks.com. There's just two buttons there. One says iPhone, one says Android. Boom, you're in. And a great way to listen to the program on the road. We want to thank LastPass for their sponsorship. Another year of sponsorship for that app. And, of course, it's available at HomeGadgetGeeks.com. We want to thank Erin Lawrence for last week. Man, she's, Mike, she's she's fantastic. Like A pro. Erin is, I know. It's just we're we're privileged to have her. Yeah, we really were. We gotta get, um, we gotta get her on more often. Yeah, no, I think we're gonna go to quarterly for, with her. She's Definitely. she is just dynamite. So and she, tw- she she just tweets. Co host. I'll yeah. bow out. I'll I'll give it to her, Aaron. If you're listening, uh, you can have the chair. She'd be pretty great. I'm not gonna lie, but I like She'd be having me you. Admit it. <laughs> she's. Great. I like I like having you. So Aaron, thanks for coming on. She she did a lot of social media tweeting this week too. She's just a pro. So Aaron, yeah. thanks for coming on. Um, I do want to remind you. You know, uh, we uh, we do have this thing called the post show. And uh, last week we went into the post show. Aaron didn't stay too long. Mike and I had a long. I've been getting emails from some of you about wanting more cryptocurrency conversation. Now some of you don't want it. So I've been trying to not work as much of it into the conversations what we're doing but some of you want it last week mike and i had i felt like five hours mike i think it was, it was a long it was, conversation it was midnight i think when you and i actually finally turned off the chat so it was a long conversation and at times got a little i'm not not offensive but heated got a little mike and i disagreed on some things and so if you're a patreon supporter i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, go through that list really quick. We appreciate you guys, by the way, if you're a Patreon supporter, both both Eric and Mike support us here on Atrium. So, so gentlemen, thank you for your Patreon support. We always appreciate that. But if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get the post show. That's the only way to do it. That's just kind of one of those things takes me extra time. And so I thought, you yeah, know, we'll give it to the serious, the folks who are really serious and dedicated to the network. So yeah. $1 gets you in. You can head over to the average guy.tv slash Patreon, or I think it's 
uh, just go to the site. Go to theaverageguy.tv. Get, click on the Patreon link. A buck gets you in. You'll immediately get access to the post show. Now, it's long, but I'm telling you, you will never hear this kind of conversation between Mike and That's I. Right. Yeah, it's a rare, you got Mike unfiltered, which which rarely happens, but you definitely got me unfiltered. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was yeah. a great conversation, I think. But yeah, way different than what you and I usually, than our usual banter, no, I no. guess. Yeah, so no, it was, it was fun. The gloves almost came off at one point, and uh, yeah, it, was, it, it was Mike. I, I just want to say though, super nice to podcast with you. No, no foul words. No, I hate you. No rage quitting. Right. All those things. All those things could happen. They we didn't can happen. have fun with it. That's a, you know uh, we built up that rapport. So yeah. So if you want to get access to that, there's a like an hour and a half or two hours of it out on Patreon. But we it's do that another podcast. <laughs> we we do make the post show available to all our Patreon subscribers. Get a buck. Brian Hour, Paul Brerin. Michael Ray, uh, MB Gilberton, Gilbertson, Kevin Schoonover, Justin Simmons, John Biggs, Dennis Pillow, Nathaniel Lindley, uh, Chad Davis, Mark Robson, Ryan Kirshner, Jay Cleveland Payne, John Larson, Chad Johnson, Gavin Campbell, Emily Prokop of the uh, story behind, by the way, a great podcast you should subscribe to and listen to. Eric Janowski, Eric, thank you for your, your sponsorship here. Peter, Peter Dennett. Uh, Jim Shoemaker, Dwayne Johnson, Malcolm Lacey, Mike Weger, and then Steve Sleeper over at the North Omaha History Podcast. So, gentlemen and ladies, we thank you for your support of the show. Always appreciate you guys doing that. A buck gets you in. And, of course, you can listen to the Wild Post Show. That was last week. I also want to say, uh, and Eric, great week to have you on. You're a kangaroo user. I'm a kangaroo user. Mike's a kangaroo user. And... Uh, Keith, uh, that we know of. I know there's some other that bought it. I think, but c- between uh, Keith, you and I, we have all replaced those at this point. Did yours yours heat up to the temperature of the sun? Is that kind of what happened? That's right. It was also placed in a warm location, which I was running a fan, and I had strapped uh, a hard drive to it. Yeah, now yeah. So that, you have. Surprising. You have the version that is a docking station and you can put a hard drive in that docking station. And what I found is if you put a spinner in there, that adds additional heat to the setup. And so you have a device. These kangaroos really aren't vented very well. It's kind of air cooled. And I I don't know if that works very well. Mike, uh, you and I looked online and we had some folks that were complaining about this. And if you're running a boink like the that's yeah. running all the time that really contributes to it eric how are you using how do you use your, your i'm using it as a backup device i have uh running uh and a vpn server so i'm running at a family member across the country uh another kangaroo and we'll back up to each other and it's pretty on all the time you know communicating Right. Yeah, and they stay pretty warm if they're if they're on all the time. They stay pretty warm. So I'm well, wondering that's, if that's generous being warm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can cook a pizza on it. It's like yeah, just set your frozen pizza on there, and you'll have a. You'll, it'll be done cooking in a while. But my question, I wonder if. So I do not have the double deck version, right? Mine's the original. So it doesn't have the spinner underneath, maybe keeps it a little cooler. And then I think I was the only one out of the three of you who was running Linux instead of Windows. Maybe Linux runs a little cooler. Um, probably not. It's probably it run cooler crank. for me. It didn't. Yeah, I, I ran Linux for a while too. Okay. I just want yeah. you. I was like, yeah, I don't know why mine hasn't done that Ubuntu. yet. I so. ran an Ubuntu. A, a distro of Ubuntu and it did, did the same. And that's thing. what I was doing. Cause I was doing the Boink software and right. it was cranked up for yeah. a year, 
Um, but Was it's just long? been. Yeah. And yours, your, yours is not showing any signs. So for no Keith, Keith Lunsford, his popped up and then mine popped up. But Keith and I were for the same reason. The, the, the lithium ion battery pack uh, uh, expanded. Let's just put it that way. It became a balloon. I'm kind of thankful it didn't catch fire. Um, Eric, well, for you, I'm worried. It's in my living room. I know, I know this yeah, is, is kind of I just I maybe a public service. Yeah. This is a public service announcement. Eric, yours just got so hot. The plastic melted. Was that, was that what well, happened? the, the, the uh, adhesive that uh, secured the top to the, um, ah, I gotcha. Yep. To the case. Yep. You know, just, just uh, released really gave up the ghost, so to speak. Now, did you, did you send it back to them? Have they replaced it? Yeah, they replaced it. Yeah. It took about yeah, pretty much no it. questions asked, right? Yeah, they saw they they wanted it, and by the time I sent it, wrote to them, sent it back, it was three weeks. Really, it was less than a week and a half since they yeah. had the device and sent it back. So yeah, same with me. I contacted their support. They said no problems, and I had even gotten it as part of a, re- a review unit. So I hadn't even paid for it. They wanted the receipt, and I was like, "Well, actually, I worked with the guys at InFocus, and they gave me this as a review unit. I, you know, I'm willing to buy a new battery for it." And they're like, "No, no, no, we just want to replace it." So they gave me an RMA, sent it in a box. They gave it I, within a week. It was back, and I, in fact, it came back so fast. I didn't wasn't when the box came. I was opening it thinking it was something else that I'd ordered. And then boom, there was the kangaroo brand new, new cables. Um, I probably refurb to be honest, but um, you know, it was, it, it came back. So one, uh, you know, great support. Keith also had said, and we tweeted this as well, that the, that the in focus guys gave pretty good support and pretty good turnaround on those. Eric, are you going to do anything different to that now knowing that they run a little hot? Is there anything that you're doing different? Well, I'm going to make sure it's in a better ventilated area and uh, one unit, ha- uh, didn't have the slide-in drawer for the disk drive, so I'm separating the disk drive from the uh, processing unit. Okay. Yeah, and I I actually loaded an SSD in the back of mine to give it that second drive. So I have like a 60-gig SSD back there. Not a lot, but I don't use it for a lot. And then um, I, too, we were talking about this in the pre-show. At some point, I was took a glass that had a flat bottom, and I put ice in it and water. It actually worked. It kept it cool. I'd come down a couple days later. The water would be temper, you know, temperate, kind of kind of warm active cooling is what I called it active water cooling. But yeah, I think, you know, we talked those kangaroo PCs up a bunch. Uh, we had, we had Paul on here from in focus talking about it. If you own one of those, you might want to check it. And Eric, to your point, you might want to make sure it's in a well ventilated place. And then Mike to your, for you, I would say just inspect that thing about once a week. Well, I think I might put a plate underneath it or something. So, cause it's just sitting on our, you know, the built-in cupboard where our TV is uh, easily catch fire or melt or something. So maybe just put a plate so that if it did yeah, balloon up, it would be on something that's not flammable. The, the battery pack was expanded. I mean, it was a balloon by the time I got to it. And, and so, you know, just be careful, I guess is what we're saying. I always, you know, want to be responsible about some of the recommendations that we've made. Great little, great little device. They've sent me a new one. Maybe they fix those issues. I don't know, but uh, be careful. If you've got it hidden away in a spot and it doesn't have great ventilation, probably go time to check on it and make sure that it uh, it's, it is getting good ventilation. I also thought about getting one of those um, aluminum, maybe that's not the right kind of metal, but a heat sink, you know, from the old yeah. school heat sinks that are square and just setting that thing a little thermal paste and setting it right on top to help dissipate. Because the whole, basically, it, the whole thing is a, is a heat sink. It just dissipates it right through the 
you know, right through the case. And so um, you might want to think about uh, getting getting the heat out somewhere else. So a little public service announcement on that. All right, Eric, we had you on because I uh, I put out a call uh, oh a while back and said, hey, I'd love to talk about old school or vintage is what we're going to call it from here on out. Kind of this vintage technology and talk with listeners, primarily listeners, because nobody else would just show up for the show. I mean, I, I said this, so it's going to be listeners who um, who've, who have a background in tech and, uh, and and have some stories to tell. And and I think uh, people always get, I'm terribly fascinated by, you know, we had Paul Teen on here talk about how he kind of started the the NAS. Uh, no, I shouldn't say started. It was a big player in the NAS space. Eric, uh, before we get started, though, why don't let, before we dig into what you're doing, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've had a couple careers, you've done a couple things, you're retired now, but give us the give us the two minute sales or, or elevator pitch on who you are. Elevator pitch. So I've been invo- involved in technology since I don't know preteen. Uh, my dad was an engineer and bring home gadgets, and we'd work on projects together. And I'll, I'll go through some of that later on. Uh, I have a master's in electrical engineering, worked for the New York City uh, power company, Con Ed, went to law school, uh, became a patent attorney. And how does patent attorney relate to technology? I mean, I've seen technology before it became publicly available and worked with some of the smartest people. Uh, you can meet. Uh, I've worked in industries such as uh, work for Epson, involved in their printer technology, and learned about image processing. Worked for Marvell Semiconductor, learned about signal processing, digital electronics, uh, design of electro- uh, trips. And my last job uh, was with Lamb Research Company, and they're the companies who who make the equipment that makes the chips. So an Intel or a TSMC or a Samsung would buy that equipment. And I don't know how it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what I mean, I understand the theory behind it, but I don't know how you can make um, billions of chips reliably and you could buy uh, chips for pennies or you could buy processes, you know, in the hundred dollar range. And so, yeah. That is so cool. I'm like, I'm just nerding out so jealous that you're a patent attorney because that was what I wanted to be. I actually went into law school. And of course, me, I didn't look into the requirements. I thought, okay, you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer. Well, patent is the one uh, kind of area of law where you actually need to take the patent bar. It's like you need to take twice. You take the bar and then be a patent attorney as well. And you, they have requirements for certain specific undergraduate degrees and they call them like the hard sciences, right? So engineering, obviously uh, perfect for that. Um, any sort of chemical stuff, biochem, anything like that. Uh, even some computer science programs from accredited schools count, but I did not have one of those undergraduate degrees. So I was like, oh man, I was just so like, just my dreams were dashed. I couldn't be a patent attorney after that or else I would have to go back and get a whole nother undergrad degree. But uh, so I just love it. I, I can't wait to hear more stories about kind of what you saw in your years, because like you said, you see all the cool stuff before it comes out. And that's that's awesome. Well, and Eric, you, you've lived through a time when patents have been under more scrutiny than they've ever been. Right. Yeah. I mean, just think about all the patent wars we've had over. Did you get were you in that space that, I mean, could you feel the tension in the patent space? Oh, absolutely. Uh, some, some of the uh, litigations I was involved in has had to deal, go with Wi-Fi. 
Um, and it, it was really interesting. Um, I was, I was in um, Australia last summer and uh, getting going through a tour and they're talking about Australia and uh, there was a uh, CSIRO, uh, which is their quasi-government research um, agency had some patents which they enforced against pretty much everybody who built a Wi-Fi device. Mm. And one of the things um, the tour guide was saying was that we invented Wi-Fi. Not totally true. Uh, they invented, uh, if anything, they invented uh, um, a, a modulation technique for um, um, for handling um, s secondary signals bouncing off objects. Interesting fact: one of the eight hundred two B had a modulation technique in each of the. 802B, A, A, C, added a different modulation technique that improved uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, do you have any idea when uh, direct sequence spread, spread spectrum was invented and by whom? Mm -mm, no, it was not a clue. During World War II <laughs> by an intelligence officer who was an actress named Hedy Lamar. Oh, really? So go Google Hedy Lamar. Hedy Hedy Lamar. Yes. So did all of those as they went through the progressions, like you said, N A C, did that all fall into the same patent or not? Well, because they included multiple modulation techniques, right. you had a patent that covered uh, um, direct sequence spread spectrum, which was patented shortly after World War II, okay. patent expired. But right. it would have been covered if, gotcha. if the patent was a lie. Um, so Hedy Lamar, American-Australian film actress. Or Austria. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, you know, you're right. Austrian-born American film actress and inventor. Huh. So you're saying Look she invented combo. it. Man, she that's invented. pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she invented direct sequence spread spectrum. I can't pronounce it. Spread spectrum. That's hard to say. It is hard to say. It's a tongue twister. That's hard to say. Yeah. Well, there's, I think, you know, there's a lot of that in that space where, you know, when we think of Bell Labs and we think of all in IBM and a lot of the research that was going into this in the 50s and 60s, my dad started working for IBM in 56, I want to say 57. All those technologies went in, they were cranking out. And I, I'm not sure, and, and maybe you'd know better than Eric, maybe better than I, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of attention being played to the patents in those days. This was a lot of stuff that just needed to get out, especially some of this technology you think during World War II, right? A lot of our radar technology, a lot of the, the radio stuff that we use today um, came out of the, a lot of the technologies came out of World War II. Not as worried about the patents as they were just getting the thing, the stuff working. Did, did that seem, first of all, is that a correct assumption that 50s and 60s, not as much so, but 70s and 80s and 90s, more so attention to patents, and it really becomes important. Is that a correct assumption or is it different? Okay, we'll talk in general. Yeah. Patents became more important in nineteen early 1980s when Congress and 
passed the bill, which was signed by the president, that established the uh, Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. And that court had jurisdiction over all patent appeals. Now, before that, if you were in California, you, an appeal to a patent case would go to the Ninth Circuit. If it was in um, East Coast, New York, it would go to the Second Circuit. And so sometimes, as with many issues, uh, you could get up different results. Yeah. And there would be some form shopping so you get the right appeals code. But the uh, patent statutes were enabled by the Constitution. And it's one of the few sets of laws, you know, subject matter that uh, Congress felt it was necessary to have a uniform approach. You know, yep. it's un unlike, for example, uh, where there's jurisdiction based on diversity, that is someone from state A is suing for something from state B, meeting other uh, requirements, you could go into federal court and it may have to do with uh, negligence. Well, there's a whole body of law or negligence in, uh, in each state's law. And so that's fine. But when dealing with a, an issue where there's uniformity, it made sense to have a single court of appeals. Yeah, and I and I think kind of standardize it across the United States. Yes, uh, which which helped greatly. I, I think now we have a global problem with it, and of course, you know that, that we we now have different systems, and that's probably neither here nor there, and way probably more complicated outside of the scope of what we're going to talk about here. But yeah. Eric, where'd you grow up, and what are your early technology? You know, for me, like my earliest like really nerdy things, or we programmed on 8088s when I was in high school and I had a Timex Sinclair 1000. Those are some of the early, like for me, but for you, you're just a, you're just a year older, you're two older than me. So what, what do you remember? <laughs> what, what are some of those early memories for you? So if you can't tell by my, my accent, I'm from Queens, New York. And I was listening to, uh, Peter King be interviewed by, um, Oh, I forgot the announcer from CNM Cuomo. And both were born in Queens, and one was arguing that he didn't have a Queens accent. But <laughs> I, I'm proud of my Queens accent, and I'm from New York. So some of the things was, I'll call it the Eric Janofsky one. And they were built on PNP transistors. Today's current technology is CMOS transistors. And they were bipolar transistors, and they didn't switch off. Uh, transistors were about this big. And they were 10 transistors, uh, 20 transistors, because each flip-flop had two transistors. And to give you an idea, it was just basically an adder. But let's say, which you can't do, you built uh, my computer with, into today's technologies where there are billions of transistors. And let's assume we just build a chip with a billion transistors so the math works out. So... Each transistor required about two watts. Uh, and they, they were about three square inches. And we had about uh, 20 trans, uh, 40 transistors and the square area, the area of the, the transistors, let alone the resistors capacitors, it's about 62 square inches. And let's assume today's, I said a, a, 
a billion, I mean five billion. Uh, that would be, I'm looking at my number, uh, 200 billion square inches. <laughs> and would require, and assuming that each nuclear power plant generated one giga, gigawatt, you'd require 200 nuclear power plants <laughs> to run. <laughs> so what you're saying, the equivalent then uh, to what we run today would require how many nuclear power plants? 200. 200 <laughs> just just for the one board because there's worse. No, no, well, then, no, no, a full. Yeah. Oh, right. A, a, right. a 5 billion transistor circuit. Right. Wow. And it would take an area of 78 square miles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you look at that and you say, this is the miracle of yeah. electronics that you could buy the chip of 500, 5 billion transistors almost for the amount that I paid for one PNP transistor. Yeah, Moore's Law, right? Kicking and in. Moore's law, but Real, I thought that would be a good way of looking at it, not just you know on this curve, yeah. but, but yeah. what the requirements of power and area would be right. No, that's a great calculation. When you, when you kind of boil, I've never heard it put that way, by the way, when you said about this big, about the, you, you did this on the camera about a size of a quarter, yes. right. For our, for our audio listeners. And I wonder how many of our listeners remember those days as well. That'd be interesting to, ha sure. to have them chime in as well as we think about, you know, send, sending stuff in, but yeah, the, what a huge, when we think about that, in, 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 you know, each year better and smaller. And, you know, did you have, what was your first, what was your first real introduction to the, to the, you know, to this space? What did you, what was the first thing you built that actually had purpose and use? Oh, I built a touch switch and it comprised one tube capacitors, resistors, and, you know, it was basically some sort of amplifier. And I don't remember what, when you touched it, you changed the frequency, you know, changed the frequency, and that caused this uh, a related to uh, to engage or disengage. Now, if we switch to relays, if you remember, you could always tell an old phone company building because they they had very tall floors, lots of air conditioning, and they the reason they were tall was so they could stack racks and racks of relays to perform the switching mm. and they had no windows, just ventilation. And yeah, you know, okay. So this is great because we've got a couple of buildings here in Omaha. Still, there's still holdovers from the fifties and sixties and seventies in the phone company. They would build a building and I, I'm assuming they'd fill it up with these relays and then they'd more people. So they would build another building next to it, no windows. And there's these bell buildings all around the city of Omaha. That and so I'm assuming that's what they were putting because I was thinking I always thought like how hard is it to really do phones like do you really need what the heck were they putting in these buildings but you're saying to get the phones to work in these switches they had to have these big buildings with a lot of relays is what you're right. saying and that was the first time and uh, 1962 the Bell, the Bell system introduced uh, touch tone and so they didn't have to have the relays. Uh, and they started using semiconductors, transistors, to uh, uh, to do the dialing and, and yeah. uh, interpret the dialing. 
Yeah, because the relays were doing it before. I, it's funny. Really? I know nothing about that. Was going to be my so. question, though. I was going to ask yeah. the same thing. Okay, so how did that change? Well, okay. Do, do you understand the theory of uh, rotary dialing? No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, we we could we could throw my notes out and talk about yeah, rotary. No, no. Real quick, <laughs> summarize it. Okay, basically, I you dial had a switch, and yeah. when you and a spring that would cause it as you dial the one would send, I think, two pulses of different, there's a mechanical switch of different yeah. length. And then it would be, be in, if you dialed a three, it would send four pulses, one, one to begin and the rest of the different length. And you use these relays to count. Oh, okay. And then you had, you know, all these numbers, and then you would get the combination of numbers and you'd switch. Um, you know, they didn't have area codes to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and you would dial, and whatever your number is, one, two, three, would be the prefix which related to a geographic area, and then four digits. Yeah, and they used letters in the very beginning, yes. right? They would spell things in the very beginning. With yes. Not as many phone numbers you could do that, right? And then they switch over to the numbers, and then later would, indu would introduce area codes. But, no, that's yep. fascinating, because I, I, I always thought, why did the phone company need such big buildings? to make this work. And it was all these relays that were in there. I remember as a kid, uh, you know, we, cause we still had uh touch touch tone didn't come along till what? Late seventies. Yeah. It that... started, yeah. Late seventies. So we still had rotary phones and I remember you'd be in a hurry and you would, you would dial it and then you'd push it back. <laughs> so you could, cause it'd go faster. Otherwise, cause you had to, you had to, and does it go? I think it goes to the right, right? You would dial to the right. And then you yeah, let it go. Right and, and let it go. Uyghur, you've never dialed a phone, have you? I played with one that wasn't plugged in. You're right, but I have never actually dialed a phone that way. No. Okay, and let's just let's just say dial up, right? The term dial up. The would, dial is gone, right? I mean, uh, the dial was gone in the in the early '80s, but nobody dialed. That was the whole thing, right? You would dial. Well, when touchtone went away, it was just push buttons. But that term dial carried over. And and when these modems start coming online here in the in the eighties, seventies, eighties and stuff, they they carried that dial because it was a dial tone, right? You'd pick it up before you dial, and you'd listen, right, Eric? You'd listen to the phone and make sure, okay, now I can dial, right? So it's interesting how that term dial goes from, you know, and it becomes dial up. And now what's crazy is we say in corporate, we say, well, I'm going to dial in. If you're going to join a if you're going to join a conference call, right, you say, oh, I'm going to dial in. Nobody's dialing anymore. I mean, that's a, we haven't dialed in 30 years, 40 years. Right, Eric? Yeah, that's about right, I think. Yeah. I never knew where that term came from. So. Isn't that funny? That's Isn't that funny? Yeah, the rotary, that yeah. the, the rotary, and those. Would it actually create, because it was, when you were spinning the dial, it was actually uh, crossing something, right, that was creating that, you know, that click? You know, a context. Yeah. In, in, in behind the dial, and. You know, in in those days, you leased the phone from the phone company. Oh, really? Those weren't you, owned. Oh, you weren't owned, and you couldn't get one. Sometimes you were able to get one, and of course, I had to take one apart. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you did. You know, of course, you a, did. They had a hot. You know, you, you you received the DC signal from the phone from the uh, central office, and to go through a hybrid because you had your microphone and your speaker. It was a carbon microphone and used the DC and you modulate the DC to get the, uh, 
and it was it was big and heavy until yeah the hybrid was just a fancy inductor that separated the uh, the signal. Yeah, it's it's the, those early phones. It's there's there's interesting history in that. But you have in your notes, Eric. You said sixty four World's Fair in New York, which I'm assuming you were at. Bell Systems introduced the first picture phone in '64. Yes. Talk talk to me about that because okay. I would have said I would have thought maybe that would have been in the late '70s, early '80s, but already in '64. They introduced at the fair. Very few people had one, if any. I don't know anyone who had one. I mean, any it would be a business. It was about the size I don't know, foot by a foot by uh, six inches, and I don't know what the that was the unit itself. And it had a CRT, cathode ray tube, and a camera, and some connections. I never knew what was also equipment that was supporting it. But when we went to the Bell exhibit, there'd be two booths, or there were multiple pairs of booths, and you could speak to it. uh, It was very expensive uh, to own, very expensive to use. I just don't know anyone who used or had one or seen one outside the World's Fair. Yeah, 64 was a little early, and you had to be a super early adopter and have really good. I mean, think about, I mean, the picture would be bad. The audio would not be great. You just didn't have enough data stream at that point, right? And in 64, you really don't have, you don't have any even kind of centralized network across the United States yet. I mean, you, you have phone lines and you can call across the United States, but it's going through, I think, wouldn't you say it's going to go through a whole bunch of switching to even, if you want to go New York to San Francisco, you're going to go through a bunch of relays to get there, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, they may have had uh, the, the solid state circuits, but that being said, uh, yeah. I don't have enough information to say what would happen, yeah. even if uh, they could support a signal uh, from New York to New Jersey, let alone New York to California. Yeah. Although I'm sure Bell Labs had some specialized, you know, I'm not sure. It is likely Bell Labs had some specialized circuits that could support um, cross-country communication. In, in the World's Fair, were they basically doing it from one booth to another? Was that kind yes. of the, yeah. that was, so was pretty easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did, so what do you remember thinking? Because for me, my first aha moment was in 84 when I was watching Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he gets on a, he gets on a video phone, right? He's on Mars or some, you know, something a part of the movie and they do a video phone and I go, oh man, this is the future. Now this is 20 years before that. What are you thinking when you see this thing? What's it do? I mean, what do you start thinking? I I thought it was interesting technology, but it's not uh, something that the average citizen could afford or have any use for. it was it was practical science fiction. Here's something we could do, but how do we um, how do we monetize it? I think one other important uh, thing to understand is the business environment. Bell Labs, Bell the Bell system was a monopoly. They controlled ninety um, plus percent of the telephone service between. Um, in the United States, there were some other small companies like uh, GTE, 
and uh, some very local rural spaces, but there was no competition. You could not put your own phone equipment on the system. Yeah. So there was no incentive to lower prices to uh, today. If you know, Apple comes up with an iPhone, Samsung came up with the, um, and Google came up with an Android galaxy, right? And they have competition and they not only compete on price, but features and, um, other, you know, other things like battery life that there was none of that. So I, I think that st- stymied innovation because yeah. let's see what can we build that people will pay for rather than let's build something. And I know that the people will pay this amount to cost that amount. I'm not going to enter the field and I got to be better and cheaper than my competitor. Well, like the cable companies, AT&T and Bell and Labs, Bell, Bell companies, had invested an enormous amount of money into the infrastructure to make all this work. Absolutely. And and so they're protecting their investment. It's just a different day, right? We see this in our cable companies today. Uh, There's not a lot of difference in a lot of those. They Sometimes we feel like they're, you know, then they do. They charge a lot to get this stuff done. I mean, a a cable bill these days is expensive, right? And it's what's so funny. I remember in the late 80s, my phone bill was maybe 100 or 120 bucks, which was a lot, right? When you think about, uh, you know, 80, well, let's say 90, 92, $93. And I did everything I could to get off of the landline. And so I was early on the voice over IP stuff and I really, you know, and then it didn't, the, then prices dropped so low. It didn't matter anymore. Right. The, the, the phone was, was irrelevant. You saw some other things though, Eric, at that world's fair in 64. What else did you see there that, 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 that kind of piqued your interest? Okay. Uh, IBM had an exhibit and they said in the, in the future, everybody will have a computer. And I walked into the, and they had these big refrigerator, if you ever seen a mainframe, they're just big uh, crates full of electronics and disk drives that were big as washing machines and printers, I don't know, bigger than uh, your kitchen oven. And I said to myself, because we lived in a, an apartment, that can't be possible. In fact, I only knew people lived in apartments because there'd be no place to store the computer. Right. And I thought... Until they, you know, makes no sense. But where are we today? We have, we have something more powerful than the computer on the lunar rover. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, we saw, you know, uh, we were saying uh, early in the show, you got a couple kangaroos, Mike. Yeah. How many PCs do you think you have? I have nine, by the way. How many PCs do you think you have in the house there? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't that crazy? If you include a Raspberry Pi 8, and if you include the phones and iPads, 11. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah but strictly PCs, 8. Yeah. Now, Eric, isn't that crazy? It's that, crazy. Uh, in you know, again, so for me, hearing for maybe that, that same idea for the first time in the late 70s through IBMers, saying, hey, this idea of personal computing is coming and thinking, I never even, you saw this, you saw a big box. I never saw that. I saw some smaller boxes and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Like this, when when this gets here as a kid, as a teenager, I remember thinking this is going to be awesome. You had to have 
you had to have, you had to have some awe though, looking at this, thinking about how great it could be maybe. Oh, absolutely. You know, but not as much or as looking back today where we have basically universal program, uh, compute power. We have compute as a service mm-hmm. and the innovation these days is not the computer, but the growing innovation is what you can do with the computer. And you don't have to sit there and program and be someone who's technically, um, has great technical knowledge to program in whatever language of the day it is. But, you know, that's, it's designing the systems and what benefits can you get from these systems? Yeah. Yeah. Mike and I have been doing a lot of work on cryptocurrency, Mike. And I think, you know, think about that. We're not, we don't know how to program it, right? We're just like you and I have integrated three or four or five or seven different systems to make this thing work recently. I have an Azure instance running. I'm, I'm not even, I'm doing some mining in the cloud. I'm not, I don't even own the box. It's running on a virtual server somewhere. Completely. And I think when you brought up earlier, you know, the rise of patents and the importance of patents, that was kind of a big year too, when it started to transition into the shift to what computers can do. Um, Any Joe in his basement can start writing code. They don't need a factory just to create this new computer or physical item. Um, So the demand for patents was enormous. And especially because I can create something, odds are there is someone else out there that's creating that same thing. So I need to patent this. Whereas Back in the olden days, if you were inventing something physical, the odds were a lot less that someone out there was creating the exact same thing. Or at least the odds were a lot less that there were as many people creating the exact same thing at the same exact time. So uh, I think that was also another boom. I know, Eric, you talked about earlier in the 80s back you know, when Congress enacted it. But uh, I think another one was when, like you just mentioned, computers started to be more about what can computers do. That was a good way to put it. I like that too. It's not like a saw. It's like, what can computers do compared to the computer focus? And we saw that in smartphones not too long ago where we stopped focusing on the hardware. We are, we were all in the, okay, what does this phone have? What kind of cameras does this have? And we're still a little bit like that, but now it's okay. What features does this phone offer over this one? Software wise, not hardware wise. Yeah. I mean, Eric, say, oh, go ahead. Same thing with the car, right? What could you oh, do? That's with a good point. Car? Yeah. Right. And now we have, trucking industries, uh, overnight delivery. Um, we have a uh, car as a service called Uber, Lyft, or the like. It's who, who, Henry Ford didn't think about that. Yeah, no. No, he was thinking about replacing a, a, a carriage, right? Yes. Uh, replacing the horse. Hey, in 64, speaking of cars, you also saw this, this car is very near and dear to my wife's heart, by the way. She has models of it. We have calendars of it. It's, I, I think she's replaced me with the car. You saw a special car there in 64. What'd you see? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, you saw a Ford Mustang for the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. in my notes. <laughs> No, I wasn't it, a big big car enthusiast, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the two seater that the very first we think about a, a car that revolutionized kind of the sports car. I mean, it was really it was an early sleek, um, you know, sports car that would become a icon in the late in the late sixties. Uh, 68, 69, and 70 would become just amazing and would really put Ford on the map for a sports car industry. Not a lot of tech. Those cars are pretty simple, but it did um, it did change things. If you think about the vehicles in the 50s and 60s being big and bulky and space age, 
right? Yeah. That's what they thought was space age. Um, speaking of space age, what about robots? Anything? Did you see anything in that in that sixty four World's Fair around robots? Uh, they did robotic animation. Uh, Disney did it, and you know they had a blinking speaking a robot. You know, and spoke a little bit, but that you know that was I, I, a, 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 another technology that was introduced. You know, the PC has so dominated our thought and innovation process, and. And today, I think if you if you were born in the last, well, maybe for you, Mike, let me think about this, that we're only now seeing the really big advancements in robots, right? I mean, I think it's, it was pretty stale. If we think from 60, let's just, this was 64. If we go from 64 to maybe 94, robots, I don't think make, and, and Eric, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, not a lot of innovation with those, but it seems like in the last 10 years, we're seeing tons of innovation on the robot side. Eric, what do you respond to that? Am I wrong? Am I right? I think the robotics have been around some very sophisticated robots by NASA. Uh, look, some going up to Mars, going to the moon. But it wasn't within the reach of, you know, even the top two percent, wealthiest two percent. You know, it was basically government funded. Same, you know, same thing. You know, Russia, Russia had some robotics that went up to the moon. And uh, what we have now is that they're industrial robots. We have consumer robots. Uh, and you can, you know, include the quadcopters in there. But th that technology has been enabled by cheap electronics, by uh, processes that can, and sensors that can control things. Uh, it's been, it's been around, but not as sophisticated. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you've seen, you know, this robotic surgery, it's, I mean, it's not going to be in everybody's house, but you know, it's, based on some core technology. So you, you're kind of telling me like you, we needed the PC first to revolutionize the chip because Mike, we couldn't fly your drones if we right. didn't have small enough chips. I mean, if we were trying to run the, the reason I, I mean, maybe drones and stuff were held up for so long is because the chips can, to your point earlier, Eric, the chips consumed more power than was efficient enough for a battery to be able to keep them in the air for 20 minutes. And to be or, safe enough. Like, yeah. right? You got to have a pretty well, good chip on there for the average person to be able to have a drone and be safe with it. Right. I need to be able to see where I'm going. Like there's a lot of things you need to be able to do. Uh, so yeah, I think a drone's a perfect example. Right. Not, not cheap enough. So if your processor cost a thousand dollars, that's where you, your drone would start adding up all the other components. But when you can, get a uh, ARM-based processor, you know, in the tens of dollars, you know, then you could put those in consumer electronics where you can, you know, that require them. Right. Yeah, it, it, right. The smaller form factor, smaller energy. We were, I was helping Michael Ray in the Facebook group uh, this morning. He had took a picture of his, the screen and uh, from uh, the system, you know, the Windows system screen. 
and said, Hey, I've got this AMD processor. I have this much RAM. I've got, you know, I'm, how do I make this thing faster? And uh, so I, I went back and did, I just kind of doing a little bit of research on his, on his chip. And um, it was an AMD processor from 2015, still a really actually a pretty good, robust processor, but very powerful, power or energy efficient, 25 Watts max on these things. And as, as the, it's like, it's one of those things I have, uh, I bought uh, an AMD box from Schoonover at the home server show meetup uh, this year. And that thing I think is, I don't know, 15 or 20. And you just think, wow, I mean, that is now granted you're not running huge stuff on them, but they are pretty powerful, uh, efficient. Uh, Eric, you just mentioned arm. And I think, uh, you know, not to use a pun, but I think we're going to be off on an arms race here over the next five years as Qualcomm and the, the arm side begin to really compete with Intel uh, on the small space for Windows devices. On the phones, they've already won, right? That's it's Intel's out of the phone space, right? I mean, it's all it's all arm chips there. And Man, they are making innovation in the ARM space. Eric, were you involved on the processor side with ARM? Have you, have you, in, in the work that you've done, have you worked in yeah, that area? Yeah, I've, on the legal side, but yeah, on the legal side of it. But you're still yeah. seeing. It seems like the ARM guys are just crushing it right now with innovation after innovation after innovation, getting those things smaller and more efficient yeah. and more powerful. Is I, that would that be true? That's true. But I think there's another factor because uh, when I was at Marvell. Uh, they, they switched over from MIPS to ARM. And the reason was, was there's this installed base. So there's a lot of inertia. So even if you had an Intel x86 that was um, as power efficient, same smaller footprint, it would be very difficult to move over to, you know, an x86 processor from ARM. So you have a lot of history and inertia that makes it difficult to change. And you've seen this on the PC side. AMD had to be x86 compatible. You don't see, for example, um, Motorola and IBM had the power PC. It was a, a, a risk processor. And in fact, Apple moved from uh, PowerPC to in Intel. And so, you know, if they're in a lot of devices, it's really the software that's driving the compatibility with the software. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Microsoft, I don't have that great a detail, but is putting some sort of virtual machine to run Windows 10 on ARM. Yeah. An emulator, basically, right, right, to, emulator, right. to help bridge the gap for their x86 apps until right. they kind of switch over to to, yeah. to ARM, right? Yeah. It's early, but I think eventually we're going to see most of Windows on ARM, yeah. and most people running their their most of their normal stuff. I think creators, uh, filmmakers, photographers, you know, these high intensive. Although Mike was some some new Mac announcement recently. And this new Mac has like 18, 18 cores. cores. Yeah. You can get it up to 18 cores. Yikes. Yeah. In an iMac that's like this thin, it's a desktop with no tower, anything. Yeah. Radeon uh, graphics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Other Jim uh, says in the chat room that battery size made consumer robots possible as well. Sure. And I think, yeah, Eric, have you seen, have you been involved or have you seen any of the, 
battery technologies? Was that a part of your work at all as they got smaller and more efficient or is that kind of outside of your scope? Okay. That, that was outside of my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly we've made, and yet, uh, you know, Brian Auer, he works around a lot of batteries. They, they, he works for a company, I think still that does battery recycling. I still think we have a long way to go in battery technology. Uh, you know, it's just is, it's one of those, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe Brian will have to come on and school us uh, in the battery space, but it seems like, you know, I'm, I've got my phone and it's, it's, it's three years old and it's, what's going to fail on this thing first is the battery, right? At this point. So, and I could replace it, I guess, but I'm not going to, I'm going to buy a new one. <laughs> you got that iPhone, right? Say it again, it's Mike? Not very easy to do that on the iPhone. No, just because of the, just because of the way they built it. Yeah. But, the way they built it. So. Yeah. But I could, I could take it in and for 150 bucks or whatever, right? They could replace the battery for me. I'm not gonna, we talked about this last week with Aaron. I'm, I think I'm going to go with the 8S or the 8 plus and uh, what? This is my, no? my pattern replacement, the 10. <laughs> oh, you got the 10. Nice. Yes. You, you yeah. made the right choice. <laughs> oh, oh I see. To, That's why you were. Yeah, I'm trying to guilt. Uh, I don't know. I think no? I, I saw an 8 Plus uh, yesterday, and I like it. I like the size of it. I like the – and then I think uh, I think it was Kyle in our in, – in, um, in the Facebook group that said, do, do the 8 Plus now, and then 18 months from now. You know, get on sprints, always upgradable. You know, they have a – and then by that time, the X – or I'm sorry, the 10 will have its S version out and then go on the 10S. So, or do a 7, which is even cheaper – because the seven and the and this is not I'm not trying to be a diss, but they're they're so similar that you wouldn't notice the difference if it's just really? a new phone. Yeah, you will not notice the difference. Oh. So you could do a seven and then do that same thing in a year, upgrade to the ten. Okay. Or, you know, so seven plus is what because I, I want to go with the bigger. I, I do want to try a big. Right. Battle. Yeah. So I think a seven right. plus. The difference between seven plus and eight plus is not much at all. If okay. Anything. So okay, Eric, yeah. what what made you go right to the ten? Uh, it's a little smaller than the plus. Uh, I wanted the camera with, with my grandchildren and yeah. And I always like to get uh, the newer technology and, you know, I'm happy with uh, Apple. They, you know, they don't yeah. seem to have too many problems. Yeah. Cause some software fixable things, but no, they do. All right. I think it's a mature, it's a mature platform. Emily in the chat room saying she's loving Mark. Uh, her husband just got a pixel. A Pixel Two, and I, and I've thought of actually going the Google route with with Project Fi. I think I can get that here in Omaha. My kids are on it. Actually, we're a we're an Android family except Sammy and I. <laughs> it who go figure that it would be the two of us that would be still on iPhones. But I don't know. I don't know. Okay, neither here nor there. Eric, uh, what else? What else you want to share with us? What other when we think about memories or we think about technology? What what else? You hey, you'd have a. Uh, uh, in here, you had a note about Motorola, yeah. and and you know Motorola. Mike, did, did you know that Motorola used to not make telephones? That they were actually a company. They were a radio company before. Did you know that? I did not. I had a Motorola flip phone, uh, yeah. and that was my first experience with Motorola. Yeah, Eric, where, what was Motorola before they were the phone company? They, they were basically a two-way radio company, you know, commercial and military. And, really. Uh, Yep. Yeah, they they had they had they, that was not their space. Like if you bought a walkie-talkie, you know. Uh, by the way, Brian Regan has a great skit on walkie-talkies. But 
if you bought a walkie-talkie or two-way radios, those were Motorola's. I mean, they were known for their communication devices. The phones came later. Now, you know, until recently, you know, you know, municipalities and governments would, you know, would have Motorola um, radios in a patrol cars and you know, any other. Yeah, CB radios, right? There was a lot of Motorola CBs. CDs, but they they were starting to commercialize. So when you had a bigger market, you had other companies like Cobra and someone else. I don't remember having a CD, CB radio by Motorola. I think I had a Cobra CB radio. Well, that was the big, they were the market leaders, right? Yeah. At that point, Cobra was the big, I had a CB when I, oh, I can't, I'm, this is awful that I'm, I'm admitting this. <laughs> I had, and when I was in high school, I had a CB and we, I think we've talked about this before, but I'd go around. Did Eric, did you ever CB radio? Did you, did you get into that craze at all in your car? Yeah. You know, I used to uh, travel up to Vermont skiing, so I wanted some sort of mobile communication device. So I had a CB. Yeah. Yeah. And we would, uh, so this would have been eighties. They've had some resurgence, right? In the seventies during the convoy era, yeah. you know, there was an album that came out. There's a big surge. This would have been like 74. And then they, in the early eighties, they made a resurgence again. And, and that was when I was in high school and we, I put one in my mom's car, wired it in, you know, I just hacked it in the car. It was awful. I did a terrible job, big antenna coming out of this little tiny car. And then we would do these games where we'd go around town and you, one person would go hide and they would key up, right? You push the key. And then everybody would have to go around and find them based on the meter on your CB radio <laughs> for the frequency meter, right? How strong or how weak. So people would drive around. Gas was a dollar a gallon. So just get off my back. So we would, drive, we would literally just drive around for hours trying to find these people that were hidden. And uh, it was hide and seek using CB radios. That, that was awesome. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know you could even do that with CB. Yeah, because they all had these meters, right? It had the, the had the strength meter when somebody would. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was the early. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what nerds did. That's what technology nerds did in the early 80s, right? I mean, we were, there was some computer stuff going on as well, but we did a lot of, we did that as well. Go ahead, before, Eric. Before, before we end, and I don't yeah. know how long we want to go, uh, I thought I'd say something interesting that probably most, most people did not know, that up until the 70s, we used analog computers. They weren't fast enough. So one of the applications was what would happen to lightning striking a power line? The current, again, these were simulations that were run by big companies. So they had computer resources available, but they couldn't, there wasn't enough computing power to do those simulations and to understand what would happen when light, you know, the traveling wave going down the, uh, transmission line, power transmission line. And so these were done with miniature components. You know, you don't have a whole transmission line, but you would have a component that represented the transmission line. And it was approximation because there were other secondary effects and tertiary effects. And so until the seventies, and I believe or even the early eighties, calculations was being done on uh, probably hybrid computers with the model of what you're trying to understand being analog components and that's sort of blows my mind that yeah. today computers are fast enough and powerful enough to you know model things that couldn't be modeled digitally years ago right yeah no it's it's amazing and now we have distributed computing 
when yeah. we think of these these programs like Bo- uh, Boink and SETI at Home and Protein Foldings and sure. the World Computing Grid, is that right? World Computing Grid, I think that's is that what it's called, Mike? Is World that Community Grid? Community Grid, where we can take the IBM project. Yeah, we can offload some of this computing onto other people's computers, and they can be compu- computated and then sent back, um, which I think is you know pretty pretty amazing, um, all in itself. You know, and we have access. I think Eric, the 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 amazing thing is when we have excess computer power now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's in, in those days, it was like, if you use a computer, it took so much energy and so much time. I, I remember stories of old database guys telling me they programmed for data in every single block. Like it was expensive. Hard drive storage was expensive. And so they were very judicious about where data went and how they put data. And now Mike and I are talking about using hard drives to, to do coin mining, right? You know, and we're like, how big of a drive are you going to use? I don't know. I'll put a six terabyte drive on there. Well, I'm going to do eight, right? The whole world didn't even have eight terabytes. Uh, you know, it, it probably in the middle 60s when we think about what hard drive space was. So I, that's pretty, Eric, that's pretty amazing to me when we think about that. You kind of lived through that. Yeah. Another p- amazing thing is... Uh, I, I worked at, uh, in the 80s at ConEd's Energy Control Center. The computer used for dispatching generation was analog. Uh, it was a digital computer that was used for other purposes, but it had 32K K of core memory. And yeah. the bootloader was paper tape. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, when you say okay. paper when you say paper tape, do you mean the real to the real to real kind yes. or the yeah, okay. And it had holes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike, so, you've so, never seen that. No, well, no. No, no. So so that's why here's my question. So if we were doing this podcast in I don't know what a good year to pick is, uh 75. Let's just pick 75. If you were doing this podcast 1975, did you have the same mindset back then of like, oh my gosh, look how far we have come. It's just insane how far things have gotten to here. Or had was there a time before we got to this kind of boom, I guess, of technology where you would have said, Man, eh, things are yeah, I mean, maybe we'll hit a technology boom, but we really haven't hit it yet. Great question. I I think we're, you know, sort of a hockey stick. We're where, you know. We're slowly going up, and then with the advent of microelectronics. Okay. So, what year? What year does it start to go up? Like, where would you have generally? Where would you place that? Eighty-five, ninety-five, ninety. It's a great. That is a great question, Mike. I I love what you though. At what point, Eric? When we think, because like today, we think we're on that rise of the hockey stick, but we have no concept of what's ahead, right? And this. This could be the beginning, like where it just, you know, it goes up in the 70s, though, when you thought when you were thinking about technology, do you still did you have the wonder and amazement of some of the things? And Mike, 75 is probably a bad year. I think 80 would probably be a better if we were to pick a, you know, to pick a point in time. Eric, when you thought about the 80s, did you have the wonder and amazement? I mean, I was just enthralled. Like we had some great stuff coming and I thought I lived in the future to answer your question, Mike. I really did. I was like, in 84, I was doing my very first basic programming on an 8088 and an Apple IIe, 
right? And I thought, holy crap, because I lived in the Bay Area, right? right? And we had access to all those guys. And this, both Apple and Hewlett Packard at the time gave away computers to the schools to start funneling those things out there, right? And so we had, we were one of the first schools to have this big computer lab. And I remember thinking, holy crap, I am in the future, right? So if you would have asked me, Eric, I would have thought that we, it, it, at that moment, I would have thought we were on a hockey stick, that we had all this great computing power. And by the way, the little three-inch floppies came out those in those years, and we'd been using five and a quarter before, and I was thinking, oh, you can carry these in your pocket, and they got a little slider, you know, that would cover, remember, the slider would cover the drive, and it, I could put it in my pocket and it wouldn't get ruined, because you couldn't do that with a five and a quarter, because it would fold, and, you know, you could wreck it kind of thing. And I remember thinking we're in the future. Do you, Eric, do you think, did you have those same thoughts in the 80s? Like, man, the future is here. It was getting there. I mean, okay. I mean, it, it, the slope of innovation was greater in the uh, 80s than in the uh, 70s and in the 60s. You know, part of it had to do, you know, with the electronics coming down to the consumer and company companies competing to build better products. Uh, phone system prior to the breakup of Bell and the advent of cellular phones was monopolies, yeah. primarily AT&T. Yeah. Do you think that breakup was important? I mean, is, do you think innovation began to grow? I mean, they're back together for the most part, but it's a different world than it was. That's right. Then. Uh, do you think that was important? That breakup was really important think, for innovation? I, th I think it contributed to it. Yeah. Uh, computing was dominated by, uh, by IBM. There were uh, secondary players like Control Data Corporation, um, General Electric, um, uh, Univax, Sperry Univax. And Again, with inertia, if you bought a spare Univax, you're probably stuck with it if they can meet your um, requirement, you know, hardware requirements, because the cost of moving software, even back then, was very challenging. And I think when you got to an area where, you know, a market where it was a consumer market, where there was a large consumer market, we could invest a lot and spread the cost of R&D among millions of people rather than hundreds of entities, you can make that large capital investment. Yeah. Uh, Brian in the chat room says 80, he says 80, 81, 82, 83 for the very first PCs. Then 94 is, was really that year. Um, I think the 480 was it 94 for the 486. I think it was in that middle nineties. Yeah. So I think there were some jumps in the mid eighties, another big jump in the mid nineties. And then, of course, at the end of the 90s, we really saw the Internet come on, and that kind of changed everything. Yeah. See, and, and that was kind of my point is because – so I was born in 91, and so you think even 94, I'm only three years old. So I feel like I've lived through an era where it's – nothing has been too – oh, my gosh, can you believe how far we've come? We've just been in the steady – like, yeah, that makes sense from where we were a year ago. Like, everything has made sense. There hasn't been this drastic, like, hockey stick was a perfect example of how yeah. to put that – and it's like, okay, so the internet, maybe you could, you could kind of talk about when the internet came out. I remember AOL first coming out um, with like instant messenger and that being a big change. Um, so maybe I lived through one, uh, but we, it's been pretty steady in my lifetime. Well, you, you saw the smartphone though, Mike, you saw a 2000, Brian just said this, uh, or no other Jim said then 2000 for smartphones. 
true. You you saw a smartphone, and that changed yeah. things. That's a huge. But it, but it was a very natural progression. There was like flip yeah. phones, and then there was, there was a Palm Trio that my dad had, and then the iPhone. Like it was like the Blackberries uh, trios, and then like the iPhone came out, which kind of iPhone was revolutionary, which the way no keyboard, right? Right. Um, and then so you so see like, that as incremental as opposed I see to it more as incremental. Okay. I mean, especially since I mean, I was in seventh grade, I had a Palm Pilot, uh, and those Palm Pilots were handheld computers they just didn't have the phone connectivity on them yet you didn't have a <laughs> connection everywhere you needed uh to sync the device you didn't have anything to yeah. connect it to you, you mentioned aol and aim by the way they uh, emily puts in the chat room tomorrow's their last day oh is it really I yeah, didn't know that. They, sh- they shut down on the 15th so uh, isn't that weird to think the millions of people i mean for a generation oh. lived on on aol instant messaging Right. You can't hear a artificial door close without thinking of someone else signing out. Like, right? Like mm-hmm. that, you know, all the sound mm-hmm. effects, you know. ICQ and AOL and, a- and AIM, right? Those were those were the What's early days. ICQ was a, a, a forerunner. Is that the right word? A forerunner to uh, AOL instant messaging. It was really? before. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the very first kind of early messaging clients. It's, it's what's so funny is it's that whole idea of messaging has never gone away. We still, we have, we message exactly the same way. Right. From now we have emojis and, and, and emojis and bitmojis uh, that we and, did bitmojis yeah. that we didn't have then. Uh, but it started with messaging that way. And we, and yet today we still message, whether it's text or, me, or messenger or, you know, those, those, uh, um, Eric, how does your family, you know, you've got kids and grandkids and, how does your family communicate with each other? When you, when you think of, do you guys, have you found a central thing that you use as a family to communicate with each other? We, we use a couple things. We use Hangouts. Uh, really? We, we have video conferencing. Okay. Uh, how, 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 I, I thought that was my wife. She, okay. It's seven o'clock. Uh, <laughs> how will we find uh, Hangouts? Doesn't work when you have a lot of people on the phone. Right, yeah. And, if, no. and, and it doesn't work well if you're just one-on-one. So we use uh, um, Google Duo. Oh, really? Wow. That's not what I expected. Uh, How does that work out? That's pretty good because you could uh, use it on an iPhone or an Android phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I asked because it was one of those that is cross-platform. Cross-platform because my sons are both Android people. Yeah. Uh, one actually uh, is in the hardware group at Google, so I'm, oh, cool. I'm, oh, I'm nice. a turncoat for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Those those wars don't exist anymore. We're my, mess- well, we had our my, last. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I said, and my dad's. You know, I'm fortunate he's still alive, and but it can't be too complex. So, I will uh, use uh, FaceTime with him. Okay. It, it it's one of those built-in, easy to do, right? It just works. Right, and it was that way, but I more difficult getting him to use Duo. Duo, right. yeah. You just it, eventually you do it works. Mike, you were going to say something. Yeah, we so. had our last convert. So uh, on my wife's side of the family, everyone was on an iPhone except for her mom. Uh, her phone would, and so her phone got so old. She had an Android phone that she would launch Snapchat and it shut down the entire phone. So. <laughs> I went, and this is why I got Hannah the 10, and I wiped and redid her 6S, 
and gave it to her mom. Got I I just set everything up. I said, I will set it all up. Will you switch to an iPhone? Because you're the one person causing all of our messages to be green. Uh, and we can't use iMessage and we can't, you know, she can't FaceTime Emmett and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, like, and so I set it all up for her. I set up an Apple ID, everything, gave it to her. And now I think she's actually pretty happy with it. So uh, we're all finally on one ecosystem. On my side, we've always, we've all, we're all iPhone. Uh, but on hers, her mom was the last one to switch over. It's been a slow process. They were all non-iPhone before I joined the family. It's important. I've, I've converted them all. It's important. Like this has become a question that has become more and more important in the last couple of years of families communicating how they're going to do it. I think for a long time it was spread all over the place or they use text and it was right. hard. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I've gotten this feeling in the last couple of years uh, that it's, it's starting to boil down to just a few things. We use messenger, Facebook messenger, and that works really well for us. But um, it, it's incredible the ecosystem you have to get into and find for the family because it is frustrating when everybody's trying to use one thing and there's a holdout, right? Yes. And you're like, could you just get on the network or whatever? Yeah. Whatever it's going to be. So that seems to be the new thing recently is how do you communicate as a family? How do you find that, yeah. that common ground? Well, and it's, it's too for them. Um, I'm the support guy, right? I'm the IT guy in the family and they just know it works a lot better. I can, I don't have to have my phone in front of me. I can walk them through steps just in my mind on how an iPhone or a Mac computer, uh, whereas if it's Windows or an Android, I have to get on my device and make, okay, uh, you go here, you go here and kind of walk them through it. So it's a little bit easier for me to support them if they're all in the same ecosystem. Eric, your first PC was an 8088, right? You had a, you had a luggable. Yes, I had a compact luggable. How was it? Do you, do you miss it? I mean, okay, it, certainly it's slow today. It's, you know, it couldn't keep up, those kinds of things. But do you have fond memories of those, of kind of that first PC? The keyboard was a solid keyboard. Mm -hmm. Not the, you know, real springs, very well made. Yeah. You know, the circuits, circuit board and the cage was made with, you know, cage was real metal, nothing, no plastic or. Yeah. How big was the hard drive in it? It didn't come with one. I put a um, 10 megabyte drive. <laughs> Do you remember how much that was? About $500. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. I, but there's a story that goes behind it. Man, $500. Yeah, I want to hear, I, I hear oh, it. Go. Okay. So had this had the computer apart, put the drive in, booted up, perfect. Uh, assembled the enclosure, worked, let it run for a while, stopped working. Just, you know, right after I bought it. So I went down to the store and I brought my, uh, brought my computer with it, the luggable. And he did it. Took 40 pounds luggable. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I leaned to one side. <laughs> he says, oh, it's working. I said, put the cover on. And, you know, that was $500. He didn't want to eat $500. Mm -hmm. But when he saw that, you know, he honored the warranty. Right. And gave me a new drive. When he saw when the enclosure in, and, you know, he saw that. Because it was heat, the drive was heating up, right? Heating up, yeah. And so it heat up and then stop. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it heat up and stop working. Right. It was real common. I mean the the old yeah. the old solid not solid state, but the old circuitry just did not handle heat very well. Right, and, and it's prob probably had marginal uh, characteristics. But I learned from that, or I learned from something else. I had a Chrysler um, Cordoba 
And if anybody my age uh, remember was soft with uh, Richard, uh, I forgot the guy's name, uh, soft Corinthian leather, leather, the car, I take it out of the garage, I get a block and it died. And I said, okay, I was still with the walker, walked home, got a bag of ice, put it on the control control module. It was one of the earlier solid state control, you know, fuel control modules. (laughs) It worked. So it was happening. And I said, okay, went down. Nobody would ask for a, they finally were able to get me a control module, put it in, never had a problem. Yeah. Heat heat has been an issue for... (laughs) Heat and okay. solid state never got along really well. Right, heat and, and solid. And you would... in an engine compartment, and you know how hot an engine compartment can get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes when I deal with technology, I'm a little more knowledgeable and than your average uh, consumer. So, Eric, a great conversation with you tonight. Uh, thanks for for jumping in here. We're gonna. Can you stay around? And do some post show with us? Would that be? Sure. Would that be all right? We'll continue this on to the post show. Well, so when not two hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can drop you can drop anytime you want. And I've been drinking water. So I am uh, I've been prepping prepping for that. Uh, just a reminder uh, to folks, we make the post show available through through for our Patreon subscribers. So if you wanna and it's not always very long. Uh, Mike and I had a marathon one last last week, but typically they're about 30 minutes of, of additional audio of things that you hear as we're doing. So head over to the average guy.tv, click on the Patreon link, a buck gets you in. It's great. Uh, those, those, those folks that support us help me do some things that I need to do to keep the network up and running. So I appreciate you guys doing that. And if you want to get access to the pre and the post show, uh, pre-show is usually only about five minutes, but the post show usually, or sometimes has some interesting stuff in it. Don't forget, uh, you know, we had we had Larry and Kat on from Ghost Browser a couple weeks ago, and we're doing the December Ghost Browser Challenge. If you haven't tried it out, uh, head out to ghostbrowser.com. Give Ghost Browser a try. Very interesting. It's just a different kind of browser. And if you want to do something other than Chrome or Firefox, and it's actually kind of Chrome on steroids, there's some really cool things you can do with it. Uh, give it a try. We're going through the challenge. I've been using it here and uh, giving it a try. It works for everything I need it to work for. Um, one of the cool things that I like about it, I mentioned this last week, if you close it and, and reopen it, like so don't don't take any tabs down. Don't close any tabs. Just close it and then open it back up. All the tabs are there. It's really cool. Now, like I said, there's other plugins that do that, but it's really convenient just to have that work right out of the box with Ghost Browser. Give it a challenge. We're trying it out for the month of December. Grow, ghostbrowser.com. Give it a try. Thank uh, Larry and Kat for coming on here. That was a fun interview as well. And uh, we've had a good month with them. Don't forget, uh, also, if you want to contact me, send me some feedback. Um, if you, like, so, you, Eric, you are the first to make it through the Vintage Series. Congratulations, by the way. You, you set the bar for people. <laughs> this is exactly what I was hoping for, that we could just have this really cool conversation where we could kind of reminisce. Eric's got some specialty in some areas. And, uh, and we didn't cover everything. So, Eric, at some point, I'll have to have you back on again, and we'll have to cover some more stuff. Sure. I don't I, Right, we didn't cover everything. You had some yeah. serious notes, so you were you're in typical lawyer fashion, way more to talk about than you needed. <laughs> hey, hey, Jim, can I just say something? Yeah, for all, yeah. For all those listeners, support the show. Oh. Join Patreon. It's, Thank you. Jim works hard. He does a good job. He keep. When I used to commute, he he was there with me. He, was, <laughs> hey, he, didn't, what, he didn't know that, but he was. Well, yeah. a little scary. When was the no? I'm just kidding. When was the first 
do you remember the first time you listened and what was it? What was, was it home service show or do you remember what was the first thing well, you listened it was, to? It was definitely a home service show because I okay. was putting together a home server and I was on some uh, forum and then I saw uh, McCabe's uh, uh, podcast and then I started mm-hmm. listening. Okay. So you, you found me went. through, you, you found me through home server show. I'm always interested how, how folks find yep. it. Well, Eric, you did a great job tonight, and that's you've set the standard for that. If you're interested in doing this, if you want to jump in, I just need what Eric did is I a couple months ago I said, hey, and we're looking to do some some back in the day kind of stuff. And if you're interested and you got something you want to talk about, uh, give me a jingle. And so send me an email, Jim at theaverageguy.tv, and uh, we will get you. I'll do a call. Eric and I uh, got together for about an hour one time. We just kind of chatted, and I was like, yeah, you got to have a little decent equipment, something we can hear you with, and some adequate bandwidth, those kinds of things. Then we get you scheduled for the show. Got plenty of spaces throughout 2018 to get you involved. So if you want to do that, Jim at the average guy.tv or shoot me a note over on Twitter, just at Jake Collison. Don't forget the average guy.tv platform, both web and media hosting powered by Maple Grove partners. We love those guys over there. Gary and Christian do a great job and you can get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting for people that you know and you trust. For more information, visit maplegrovepartners.com. And of course you can get plans there for 10 bucks. And then, Last but not least, don't forget our mobile app is available out there uh, at homegadgetgeeks.com, sponsored by uh, LastPass, and uh, we appreciate their sponsorship of the program as well. It really pays to get the app developed through Spreaker, and uh, everybody has said there's lots of great uh, ways. The best way to listen to the show live is on uh, Spreaker. Uh, by the way, before I go, Mike Weger, great having you back, by the way. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. And hey, I think this is like, a, I got maternity, mater, I got paternity, not maternity. Go. I got paternity leave. <laughs> That'd be a up. miracle if it was. I think, I think this could I think this could be a thing for the next at least month. We'll see. Oh, and then word is I got an Omaha project after that. So uh, you might not want me, but you might have no, me. Oh, I like it. The next, I like it. I like having you. few back. months if it all works I out. Know. So. I like having you back. So good it's good, good to have you around. You've made a few changes in, in the back of your. Uh, I did. I moved some stuff around. Hi- I didn't want to highlight a drill and screwdrivers. I wanted to highlight the drone and the cameras and the camera gear and microphones. So those are all here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Moved it around. Uh, Sarah mentioned we were talking. She was down here. She was, hey, nice background. And then you were like, yeah, I could probably move some stuff around. And, she did. Uh, yeah. She was the so. cause of it. And then she, I added a pegboard to my server rack, which I posted on Facebook about so I can hang more stuff over there. She just got me all into organization. Nice. Nice. What's well, looking good? You have to see the video. If you're listening to the audio, you have to just jump out to YouTube and uh, at least check out the audio. You can head out to theaverageguy.tv slash hgg337 i know that's too long to remember just 337 and then throw the hgg in there and you can get that uh you can you can watch the video with mike's pretty awesome i think pretty awesome background we are live every thursday 8 p.m central 9 eastern out here at the average guy.tv live we'll be back next thursday i was just going to take a peek and see uh what we have on the schedule because it's always kind of nice to know and so oh i think i think we're doing the drone show next week I think we have Keith and Dave. Yeah, this is the 21st. Oh. He'll be here, right? So we're up for the. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. here. Okay, good. 20 uh, drone show next week. Coming out right then. Yeah. We're yeah. Here. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get that figured out. And then Barron's back. Paul Barron is back to talk about. Um, he's going to do an old school segment like this, uh, a vintage, I'm calling it, an old school vintage segment. Uh, talk about some of the stuff he did. And then I got this really interesting interview coming up with Heather Welch. She's in New Zealand and she's off grid and she's done a whole bunch of stuff to manage. And she's not one of these crazy off grid, like trying to get away from the government kind of thing. 
they had to go off grid because they it literally cost thirty thousand dollars to run power to the new house they were building. And they said, Hey, wonder if we could go off grid. And there's a bunch of great technology around solar and the oh, stuff. So just got. power off grid. Okay. Not power off grid. She's off grid, you know, if you listen, I, I had a great conversation with her. She's got internet and it's a modern home, but they're just nice. off the power grid. Right. Cool. Do you watch, if you Google right now, anything on YouTube, that's off grid. It's crazy out there. It is. Holy yeah. God. So not, not that kind of off grid. This is, so you're going to like that. You're going to want to tune in here. She's coming. She's jumping in here on the, uh, on the 11th of January. So, those are the shows that are coming up. We'll go into the we'll go into the post show, and uh, we'll thank everybody for coming out tonight. And with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>